Thank you for tuning in to our Restoration Life podcast. Don't forget to rate and review the message and share it out with your friends on social media. Can't wait for you to listen in next week. Hey, good morning, church. So good. Good morning in the balcony. How are you guys doing up there? Come on, make some noise in the balcony. Let's go. It's good to have you guys here and everybody watching us online. We love you and honor you and honor the time together here with you. You know, today uh, is an incredible day to be in God's house as we celebrate the day of Pentecost. And it means so much to so many of us because um, I got saved in a small Pentecostal church in Hawthorne um, over 30 years ago. And my life has been transformed ever since then. And so Pentecost to me is more about a celebration found in Scripture, but it's an experience that I had with the presence of God through His Holy Spirit. And it transformed me. It changed me. It set me free. You know, here's this 19-year-old attic, you know, party animal kid that was just running amok, and then I had an encounter with Jesus, and my life was never to be the same again. And almost 31 years ago, I accepted Christ, and to me, it's, it's an incredible journey for the last 30 years, and so it's, it's special to me. Pentecost is very special to me, because I believe in being a Spirit-filled Christian. I believe in the full operation of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. I believe that He has the power to resurrect dead marriages. Come on. I believe that He has the power to fix broken people. I, I believe that He has the power to set people that are living under the oppression of addiction free. I believe that he has the power to release people from demonic oppression. I believe that he makes all things new. Come on, that we're new creations. I believe that. And we are a presence-driven church. What does that even mean? That means that without the presence of God, we don't want to go anywhere. We don't want to do anything. He leads the way always. So today... It's an honor to have you all with us. We're, we're in this new series entitled Crossbearers. And it's, it's a very unique series because you don't, you don't hear a lot of teaching on the cross today because of progressive Christianity and woke Christianity doesn't really want to talk about hard truths that bring us to the place of surrender and repentance that that, that needs to take place in all of our lives because we believe that you just can't go to church and become a Christian. That you actually have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. In fact, we studied that out last week in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. The Bible says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. What does that even mean? Well, we understand that following Jesus is a decision. It's a choice. Now we understand that there's no we'd be able to make that choice if the Holy Spirit doesn't draw us into a place of repentance to even begin with. So let me just say this. God reaches out to you before you reach out to Him. He reached out to you before you reached out to Him. How do we know that? Because He gave us His best on the cross. So He reaches us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so we decide, we make a decision to surrender to that gift of grace. And so we deny ourselves, but we live in a denial that's different than the world's denial. You know, the, the world loves to deny truth. But this is not the kind of denial that we live in. We're living in self-denial. In this sense, 
that we disassociate ourselves from anything that puts anything before Jesus in our lives. Christ has to be first. Jesus has to be first. In fact, Jesus himself said it. He said, listen, you have to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You gotta seek God first and then everything else will fall into place. But if you don't put him first, he won't be second to anything or anyone. And so it's important that we recognize these things so we deny ourselves by disassociating ourselves from self and self-desire to align ourselves with God's will. And we have to do this daily, not just on Sunday. Come on, am I talking to anybody here this morning? Come on. Because it's easy to be good in church on Sunday. Right? It's like you get up in the morning, hurry up, we're going to be late to church. Got to be at church today. Not putting up with you. Then we get to church, they're like, hey brother, God bless you. So good to see you. Like we put on our best when we come around each other, do we not? But it's not just about that. I think it's good that we're at our best all the time. But we don't only pick up our cross on Sunday. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have to pick up our cross before we go to work. Come on, we're going to have to pick up our cross before we get on social media. We're going to have to pick up our cross before we hang out with our friends and our family. Because if we're not careful, we can find ourselves back living like we used to live away from the cross, not carrying our cross. So he says, pick up your cross, deny yourselves daily and follow me. Following Jesus is the best life that you'll ever live. So I'm reminded that when Jesus picked up that cross and he went to Calvary and he was crucified on that cross, and he died on that cross, I'm reminded that Jesus won the victory against sin and death that the devil was defeated on that cross that day. And what we taught last Sunday is that when you pick up your cross, the cross of Christ, right? When you pick up that cross to follow Jesus, Satan is defeated in your life every time you pick up your cross and deny yourself. Satan is defeated. You want to see Satan defeated in your life? Pick up your cross. When your marriage starts to do this, if somebody would just pick up their cross, deny themselves if you would if you would just pick up your cross when you feel that temptation to do something you know you ought not to do you would get the victory over that temptation because you're not living for yourself you're living for God and others now and so today I just want to pray over this time together that we would just honor God with our lives that we'd honor God with our time we've got about 30 minutes or so to unpack this and I'll tell you up front I'm not going to finish it today but we're going to take take a journey together studying out the cross of Christ and what that means to us as believers today. And so let's just close our eyes for just a moment. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for all that, that you've done through the cross. God, you, you bore its shame and its pain for the joy that was set before you. And today you stand at the right hand of the Father and we're just blown away by your love for all of us, your extravagant love for all of us. We're just so blown away by it. If we could just learn to live in the denial of self so that we may love you, honor you, and serve you with our lives, so that we may align 
our will to your will. God, we can walk and live victorious as Christians today. God, we just pray for all those that are watching online, for those that are struggling right now, those that are sick. We pray, God, that your hand of mercy be upon them. We just thank you for today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Can we just give God another big hand of praise this morning? We love loving on God at Restoration Life. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be in there for a minute. And I kind of want to set this thing up a little bit, give you a little bit of context and tell you what Paul's dealing with. Because Paul's writing a letter to a church, and in this portion of the letter, he's picked up the pen and he's basically jotting down some, some truth to help people understand what's taking place or what others are trying to do in the church in Galatia. Now, there were a bunch of people that were known as Judaizers that, that were trying to get um, these people that were starting to follow Christ. Again, this is a new movement, not very old at all. Um, and he was trying to get them to understand the power of the cross. He was trying to get them to understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And these guys that were Judaizers come in, and, they, and with their religion, they were trying to blend in with this new religion or this new movement or this new belief system. And so they were carrying over an Old Testament covenant into a New Testament grace covenant. And what they were doing is that they were trying to get these people to get circumcised. So could you imagine, like, like if we were just to put that into real world time today, it would be like a bunch of guys that came in here, they were, they were Judaizers, and they were like, they would come up to you and they were like, hey, excuse me, um, um, Jonathan, are you circumcised? And you're like, man, that's kind of private, bro. <laughs> Mitch, are you circumcised? Eddie, are you, are you circumcised? I'm like, bro, that's none, that's none of your business, <laughs> right? Today, that's what, how we would respond, but back then it meant something completely and to- totally different. Because we understand that the circumcision of the Jews was a sign of a covenant that they made with their flesh with God, right? So it was an Old Testament covenant. And they were trying to blend these two ideas, this, this, this Judaism and Christianity. They were trying to blend it in. They were trying to mix it all up. And they were trying to bring this thought into the church in Galatia. And Paul's like, no, nah, we, we, don't, we don't do that. And so let me just kind of just break this down a little bit to you because... As they were doing this, they were trying to get people to come back over to an Old Testament ideology or an Old Testament covenant because it would take, it would, it would cause them to blend in better with all the rest of the Jews. So it was easier to blend in as this new Christian if you're circumcised because now you fall under the umbrella of Judaism. But that wasn't what Jesus died and rose again from the grave for. He didn't die to give you religion. He died and rose erected from the dead to give you a relationship with the Father. And he was instituting a new covenant with God's people. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the law. And so Paul is dealing with these Judaizers who were trying to force the Galatians to be circumcised so that they can look good in the flesh. They're trying to earn the approval of other Jewish religious leaders by the number of new Gentile um, Christians that they can convince to be circumcised and bring them over to Judaism. Now, Paul doesn't want his readers to buy into that whatsoever. And so these Judaizers kept on insisting on circumcision because they're afraid of being persecuted by Jewish religious leaders. And it's interesting 
Because it's one thing to agree that faith in Christ is necessary for salvation, but to teach that circumcision is not necessary will literally paint a target now on their backs. Now, remember who Paul the Apostle is. Before Paul uh, the Apostle was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. He was very, very well studied in the Old Testament law. Not only was he a Pharisee, but he was the son of a Pharisee. So he grew up understanding everything that that circumcision meant. And what that literally meant was this, is that to be circumcised was to come into a covenant of works, of good works with God. But we're not saved by works. You'll never be good enough on your own merit to go to heaven. Let me say it to you this way, because I, I know that there's a lot of new Christians here. If, if, if there's anybody here who thought like this growing up before you knew Jesus and, and you started to learn about these biblical truths, did anybody here ever grow up thinking, if I'm good, if I, if I do more good than bad, one day I'll go to heaven? Raise your hand. Just be honest. Like, if I could just be good. Like, if I could just do more good than bad. I know I do bad, but if I could do more good than bad. I'm pretty sure I'll make it in, right? I think most of us thought that way, right? If I could do more good, if I could be good to my family, if I could be good for my family, if I could be good to my friends, if I could be good at work, if I could be good at school, if I could be, you know, really good in my community, if I could do good things for other people, then on that merit, God should allow me to go to heaven, now that's the way that I believe because that's the way that I grew up. That's the, the way that I was raised. You have to be good to go to heaven. In fact, I can remember my mom in Spanish when I was a kid that you have to be good to go to heaven. And I'm like, okay, so in my thinking, right, I was indoctrinated as a young child to think that as long as I'm good, I'll go to heaven. But there's nothing really good about me. Inherently, I'm evil. Like, if, I, if I'm just being honest, if I do what my flesh wants me to do, there's nothing good that's going to come from that. Anybody tracking with me on this? Right? Like, like my flesh wants to do wrong. My flesh desires evil. Is anybody with me or am I just alone on this? Because you know, you know when you see that person drop that dollar and they walk away from it in that split second, you're like, they'll never know. Because <laughs> inherently you're evil. Like, I, I even see this like in my grandchildren. I've seen evil in my grandchildren. I've seen it. I've seen my, my older grandson play with something and then break it. And then my younger grandson play with something and not break it. And then my older grandson go, hey, you really want this one. This one's better. And then the younger one's like, oh, okay. Here, you take that one. 
and him walk away and me watch it going, ooh, you're evil. You're so bad. I just saw what you did. But listen to me. Nobody ever taught him to do that. I know my wife didn't teach him to do that. But inherently, he was trying to get over on his little brother. Why? Because there's evil in all of us. And it's called our flesh. Right? And so our flesh wants to be gratified by doing wrong. Our spirit wants to honor God and do what's right. Right? And so there's this battle of good and evil. But the only real good in our lives is Jesus. Because our flesh isn't good. In fact, it's so bad that it decays. And that it, it breaks. And it moans and groans. Every morning. Because it wants something to make it feel better. Come on, am I talking to anybody? That's what our flesh wants. And our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And so there's nothing really good about us. And hear me clearly when I say this, because you were created in God's image. In fact, if there's anything good, it's that. But that won't get you to heaven. That won't bring you into a relationship with the Father. And so there's this constant tug of war between good and evil. And so these Judaizers were like, hey, listen, you need to circumcise your flesh so that you can come into covenant, a covenant that was broken because there's no way you're able or you're going to be able to fulfill that covenant because you're a sinner. That covenant will prove to you over and over again that you're unable to. And so Paul says, do away with that. Christ circumcised our hearts and brought us into a relationship to himself This wasn't done in the flesh. It was done in the spirit. And so Paul's trying to help the church in Galatia understand that these people that come into the church and bring these false doctrines in and this this lying demonic spirit in, we got to purge that out of the body of Christ because it's got no place here whatsoever. And so he writes this to to them in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. He says, it is for freedom that Christ Jesus has set us free. Stand firm. Stand firm then and don't allow yourselves to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Well, what is the yoke of slavery? Watch, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? If you allow yourself to be circumcised, you're going to go back to slavery. Because you're going to go back to works. And works doesn't save you. Only the blood of Jesus can save you. You will never be good enough for heaven. But Christ makes you good enough through his blood on the cross of Calvary. We've said this. We never stop saying it, to be all honest with you. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. And so Paul goes on to say, mark my words, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey obey the whole law, which is impossible. 
You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await faith, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. And then, he goes to Galatians chapter 6, verse 12, and I'm going to read this to you. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Could you imagine? Bro, you need to be circumcised. Like right now. Like, get thee behind me, Satan. For even those who are circumcised. And you know, even in the Old Testament, they did it more than once just to be safe sometimes. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in the flesh or in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so I know that allowing myself to fall into an old idea or an old covenant is going to separate, separate me from the new covenant that Christ died and resurrected for. And so the, this cross, which is crazy to me, and man, I don't have enough time to unpack all of this today, but we'll, we'll get through this together. Paul says, if there's anything that I'm going to boast about. Now, remember that the Jews boasted a lot about circumcision. This was an act, a physical act that, that happened to most of them when they were little kids. When they were eight days old, they would take them to the temple, circumcise them, dedicate them to the Lord. But as Christians, our hearts have been circumcised, and so it, it is a spiritual circumcision that has set us free from an Old Testament covenant and brought us into a covenant of grace, of truth, and of mercy. But it has nothing to do with works. And so we understand that if it weren't for Jesus, none of us, not any of us, would ever have a relationship with God or ever see heaven whatsoever. We would never be free from sin. We would never walk in the victory that we get to walk in today. We would never be the dwelling place of God. We would never be baptized in fire. We wouldn't carry around the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't have the life that we have today in Christ had it not been for Jesus. But Paul says a very unique thing, and it's kind of the thing that I want to kind of zero in on it because I'm really not in a hurry to get through this because I think we need to unpack this over the next month or so and get us to really understand the power of what Jesus did on that cross so that we too can pick up our cross deny ourselves and follow him the first thing that I want you to look at is what Paul said he said if I'm going to boast about anything I'm going to boast about the cross now that's a very unique thing to say in that day and age because most people boast about it all kinds of other things, right? We boast about our business. Um, we boast about our cars. We boast about, you know, our children and what they do in school. We boast about our grandchildren. We, we boast about how good we are at pickleball after only paying two times. <laughs> we boast about a lot of things, right? We, we, we boast about, you know, the, the certificates and diplomas and all these achievements. We, we, we can boast about those things. But there's nothing real attractive about the cross. Or at least if we go into a, 
a time machine today and go back 2,000 years, there's nothing to boast about the cross. These things that we boast about today, kids and, and family and, and business and, and, and certificates, I mean, to a degree, there's nothing real wrong with that in, in itself. And it's understandable that we should feel good about our accomplishments, our connections and our family. But who would boast about a cross? Because in the first century, the cross was an instrument of torture, of execution, and of death. And few people today would boast about a noose, an electric chair, a firing squad. But even the comparison's not even right, because even in an electric chair, you're dead within seconds. Or at least that's the way they designed it to be. The gas chamber, right? The, the lethal injection, you're dead within, within minutes. But when you think about the cross of Christ, you think about the Romans and how good they got at torturing people. The cross wasn't meant to be something that you die on immediately. I want you uh, just, just go down this, this journey with me. The cross was something that was meant for you to live on for a period of time because your agony and the expression of your agony was sending a message to the enemies of Rome. And so they got so good at it that, that, that some would actually be alive for up to 72 hours on it. In fact, this is the very reason why that they would break the legs of people on the cross. Just in case, for whatever reason, they were able to get themselves free from the cross, they would break their legs and they would fall to the ground and of course they'd be easy to get and put them back on the cross. But a prophetic promise takes place because when Jesus died on the cross, they didn't break his legs. In fact, the prophecy says that he wouldn't have any broken bones, and he didn't. So why didn't they break his bones? Because he died on the cross. When he died, he was dead. Most others lived to share their agony with any onlookers um, that, were, that were there um, empathizing with them because they were criminals. And so this was Rome's tactic. As long as I could keep you alive. Like imagine if I could keep you along, alive on that cross as long as possible to see people, uh, for people to see you die in agony, that's going to be a great repellent for anybody that would want to come against Rome. And so they got really good at doing what they were doing with the cross. And so the crucifixion was something brutal. Historians tell us that the Romans were experts at killing Right? They knew that to stay in power that you had to be ruthless against your enemies. And so they became experts at execution. And so the cross was cruel and it was unusual. Because it was bloody, it was brutal, and it was inhumane. Because victims were first beaten, then they were stripped, and they were nailed to the cross. And over the time, Roman, Romans perfected this process so that the criminal would suffer in agony for hours, being forced to raise himself up by placing his weight on the nails and his hands and his feet, every breath and every gasp of searing pain. And so this was torture in its purest form. And so why would Paul, here's, here's where it gets to me, why would Paul say, if I'm going to boast in anything, I'm going to boast in the cross? Like, what is there to boast about? Think about this with me for just a moment. Because when you consider our text in light of what, of what 
of the cross and its brutality, that question comes to mind. How could anybody boast about a cross? Many would say, Paul, you must have lost your ever-living mind to boast about the cross. How could you say such a thing? The cross is brutal. It's ugly. It's, 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 oh my gosh, it's, it's torturous. It's, it's, how can anybody do that to another human being? And Paul's like, listen, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the cross. And I've died to the world and died and the world has been, I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. But 2,000 years later, to so many of us, the cross has become beautiful. <laughs> We've beautified an object of terror. We've cleaned it up. We've covered it up with gold and silver. We sell it like jewelry, like a protection. Like when my mom put that little cross on me and she's like, this is going to protect you. And I did, every time, you know, I was going to get into a fight, grabbed onto it. God, help me beat them down. (laughs) Help me win this fight before I get on the freeway. Every time I pass a church, you know, it was this, that's what the cross meant to me. But that's not what the, the cross meant to Paul. It's not what the, Paul, the cross meant to the Christians of that day. And so I don't want to suggest that we do anything wrong by making the cross a symbol of our faith. I mean, it's all over our church. It's there. It's on the other side of the building. It's on the steeple. It's on the other side. I mean, it is a sign of our Christian faith. But it wasn't the sign of the Christian faith back then. But we've made it into that. In fact, I, I don't know if we have that picture of the fish, but if we can put up a picture of this fish. This was a sign for Christians to find other Christians. Because 2,000 years ago, you would never find a group of Christian people putting a cross in front of their house. That would be like you putting an electric chair in front of your house and saying, if you're seeking refuge, go to the house with the electric chair in front of it. This is stupid, right? When the crusaders were on their crusades and people didn't reject other religions and other gods, they, they, would, they would crucify people. They would do that in Jesus' name. One of the ways that some historians say that people would find each other as Christians, because of, remember, Christians back then, they were persecuted, they were hunted, they were sought out. I mean, that's what Paul originally was doing. He was persecuting the, the brethren, and he would go look for them. And, but this is the sign that they would look for. And, and, and historians believe that this is what they would do. Like, if you came across somebody else and you didn't know what they were all about, that you would, like, draw one, one piece of this. You would go like this on the ground in the dirt. And then, if they knew that you were a follower of Christ and they wanted fellowship with you, they would draw the other sign on the dirt and it would would come up and then that's how you knew that you were in good company. Because there's no way they'd put a cross in front of their house. There's no way they would wear a cross around their neck. There was no way they would boast in the cross because the cross meant something totally different for them. And so when you think about the cross, the cross reminds the world that there's no way to God through good works. Dead religion or self-effort. 
There's no way to God except through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. In fact, Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, he said, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, what does he say? Put it up there, you guys. He says this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 38, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, what does he say? Not worthy of me. So would you say that making the decision to deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, would you say that that's an important decision to make every day of your life? Because if we don't, it's not worthy of me. That's what Jesus said. Don't, don't shoot the messenger. So there are so many objections to the cross today, and I just want to look at one today if I can, but I know the worship team is going to come up here any minute. John Stott, a British theologian, in one of his books talked about the five objections to the cross. And I thought it was so profound that I wanted to share them with you. The first thing, and if you have your app or if you've downloaded your app, is in there. Is this okay? Is everybody okay so far? You guys good? All right. The first thing that I want to look at is the intellectual objection of the cross. The intellectual objection of the cross. Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. He says, for the message of the cross is what? It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Why? Because we recognize that had it not been for God's love for this world, had it not been for God loving us so much, had it not been for God sending himself through his son, Jesus Christ, we'd all be separated from God for all eternity. And so the cross carries power but not like a good luck charm. Not like a, like a symbol of faith. But it's what Jesus did on that cross that makes it so powerful to you and I today. Because without the cross, there would be no salvation. And let me just say to everybody that's here this morning and watching online, Jesus is the only way to God the Father. All roads don't lead to God. All religions don't lead to God. The only one that ever left glory to be born through an immaculate conception, to be raised up, to sacrifice his life for his children was Jesus. Nobody else, nobody else did that. Nobody else died and resurrected from the grave after the cross. It was only Jesus. That's why Jesus says things like, I'm the only way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You can't go to the Father except through me. You're never going to be good enough on your own merit. Gandhi will never get you there. Muhammad will never get you there. Mother Teresa will never get you there even though she was a phenomenal woman and servant of God. It is only Christ, Jesus, and his blood and his resurrection that can heal us 
and restore us and set us free from all sin and the shame of it so that we can live these new lives in Christ. But there's an intellectual objection to this. Paul says it. He says that the cross of Christ is foolishness to those that are perishing. How do we know this? Because when Paul went to Athens in Greece, he taught amongst philosophers and and, and big thinkers of the day. And he preached the good news. He preached the gospel. And these brilliant thinkers in Athens responded to Paul's teaching. We're talking about a man who grew up understanding the Old Testament better than just about anybody else. We're talking about a man that grew up under, his father was a Pharisee, he was a Pharisee, and now he was saved and set free by Jesus and now being taught by the very Holy Spirit of God with the Old Testament scriptures, man, and now he starts to pen out this New Testament revelation for all the believers of that day, which we hold true to this day. Acts chapter 17, verse 18, he says, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? They called him a babbler. Now, I looked up that Greek word because I always like, like what, what what were they saying in their own language in that day? Because sometimes the English doesn't do it right. They were basically calling him a seed picker. Now, to you, a seed picker is a farmer, whatever. But to them in that day, they were basically calling him an airhead. That's, that's basically, look up the Greek word for babbler. You'll see that they were basically calling him an airhead. Like you're just dumb. You're foolish. You're a seed picker. (laughs) You're you're one tortilla short of a taco. I don't know. (laughs) But it's a term of disrespect. And so when they heard him preach, it made no sense to them. It made no sense. And we're talking about the philosophers, right? And And the thinkers of that generation, of that time. Like, you know... The, the, the Facebook philosophers and the Instagram thinkers and the TikTok rebels and all these wonderful, massive minds. And they're like, oh, Paul, this dude's a babbler. This guy's an airhead. <laughs> One can short of a six pack, that guy is. So when they heard him preach, they thought it was nonsense. So the, to the Gentiles, which is everybody else, it seemed absurd. Who could ever believe a thing like that? How could you worship a God who died on a Christ? Your God isn't powerful. He died. <laughs> no, no, no. He resurrected. How would you trust a God that died on a cross? And here's the crazy thing is that 2,000 years later, to some degree, we still deal with those sentiments. Especially from these new woke Christians man those people bother me why because they try to remove and diminish the power of the cross and the preaching of the gospel they make it inclusive when in reality it's exclusive we're going to talk a little bit about that next week but so many people think 
It's crazy to believe that 2,000 years ago, a baby was immaculately conceived and gave birth to God in the flesh, and that kid grew up to be a Jew who would be hated and nailed to a Roman cross. How could he save anyone? And honestly, I know that some of us could see their point. After all, we believe that the hope of salvation rests on a Jewish rabbi who was rejected by his own, arrested, right, and tortured and treated like a common criminal, crucified between two thieves and then buried in a borrowed tomb, and that's your savior? Paul understood who his audience was. Paul understood who he was talking to. And I think it's important for us to understand that what Paul dealt with 2,000 years ago, to some degree, we deal with and are still still dealing with it today. But can I tell you that the cross is a beautiful expression. It's an extravagant expression of the love of God for you. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. I don't know if you get how important that verse is. Because God isn't saying, you know what? While you were trying to do good with your life, Jesus saw how good you were and decided, you know what? They're a good person. I'm going to go crucify myself so that they can be allowed into heaven because of how good they are. It's not what the Bible says. It's not what Paul was teaching. Paul said, while you were still sinners, while we were still sinners, what does that mean? While we were still enemies of God, while we were still distant from God, while we were still doing the wrong things that caused separation from God for all eternity, Jesus saw you in your brokenness. Jesus saw you in your sin. Jesus saw you in your darkness and said, not that one. I'm going to die and I'm going to resurrect and I'm going to save them, not because of how good they are, but because of how much I love them, because of how much I care for them, because of they are my creation. And if they would just surrender to that love, if they just would surrender to that gift, a relationship with us. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that in the midst of my addiction, Jesus saw me and he wasn't like, yeah, he's good enough. He saw he's a sinner. He's dead in his sin. He's living in darkness, but I'm going to set him free and I'm going to give him a new name and I'm going to give him a new future and I'm going to give him a new family. Come on. And I'm going to give him a new purpose, not because he was good, but because I love him. Aren't you glad that while you were still living in your darkness, Jesus said, I love you enough to go to the cross for you. I love you enough to redeem you back to myself. And there's nothing that you can do for this. You're not going to earn it. You never will be able to. Faithfulness to Jesus demands that we continue to preach the cross, Him crucified, and Jesus resurrected. Remember that when you testify and share about His love and sacrifice. Because the greatest message you'll ever preach to everybody around you is the love that you have for everyone in Christ. It's the greatest sermon you'll ever preach. 
It's the way that you, it's the way that you treat people. It's the way that you love people. It preaches louder than anything else. Remember what, what Paul said, that when you share the cross with people and what he did on the cross with people, if they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus in you. Why? Because he says it's foolishness to people that are perishing. So when you tell people about the love of Jesus and they're like, no, nah, I, don't, I don't need Jesus in my life. I'm, you, you better be like, oh my gosh, you're perishing. <laughs> like right now you're going to hell. Like right now, this moment you're going. <laughs> and listen, Restoration Life Church, we love people enough to tell them the truth. We love them enough to tell them the truth in grace and in love. Because if, if I saw anybody that I cared about perishing, how can I not do everything that I can to reach them with the love of Jesus? That's our mandate. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. But you can't preach the gospel without the cross. You can't preach the gospel without talking about what Jesus suffered on Friday. Oh, everybody wants to celebrate the Sunday. But man, had it not been for Jesus and the joy set before him, none of us would be here today. None of us would experience the mercy and the love of God. I love what the British theologian John Stott wrote. He said this, the Christian community is a community of the cross for it has been brought into being by the cross and the focus of its worship is the lamb once slain, now glorified. So the community of the cross is a community of celebration. It's a community of celebration, a Eucharist community, ceaselessly offering to God through Christ the sacrifice of our praise and thanksgiving. The Christian life is an unending festival. Come on, somebody. It's a party. It's a party. The Christian life is an unending festival. And the festival we keep now that our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us is a joyful celebration of his sacrifice together with a spiritual feasting upon it. So we have an intellectual objection. But hear me clearly, church. You have a responsibility to speak truth in grace. How they respond to that truth is not up to you. But how you teach that truth is all on you. And I'm afraid that there are too many churches today that have watered down the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, a study from the Barna Group has shown that close to 60,000 churches in America, believe it or not, have closed throughout this pandemic. Hear me clearly. I believe some of them needed to close. Some of them needed to close, right? Unhealthy, doing things they ought not to be doing preaching a false gospel and I really believe what the enemy meant for evil God will turn it for the good I really do believe that but I also believe that there were a lot of good churches that closed down they should have never closed down but they didn't have the capacity to stay open during the season that's what I love about our nightlife young adults ministry they're going to take the gospel to all the churches and sister churches that they can go to they're not doing this for money they're not doing this for fame they're not doing this for any other reason that but that they want to serve the body of christ in this season and we need to support that however we can 
Aren't you glad that Restoration Life is open? Aren't you glad today that Restoration Life is filled with believers that are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Listen, we need to remain a shining light because our world is getting darker and darker and darker. And you are the light bearers of Christ. And so if I could have everybody stand to your feet this morning with me. We have to be able to talk about the cross. We have to be able to talk about the sacrifice. And we're going to unpack this even more. We're going to get in even a little bit deeper over the next two, three weeks. And I just pray that you come hungry. That you come ready to learn. But also that you recognize that you have to pick cross daily to follow Jesus. Because if you don't pick up that cross, Jesus said it himself in Matthew, you're not worthy of me. What is he saying? He's saying, I loved you enough to go to that cross for you. I loved you enough to set you free. I loved you enough to be in relationship with you. Do you love me enough to deny yourself? Do you love me enough to disassociate yourself from your personal desires and align your will to the will of the Father so that He can see His purpose, His purpose fulfilled through your lives. Let's be cross bearers. Let's be the kind of church that doesn't just wear the cross, but we bear the cross. Let's be the kind of church that celebrates what Jesus did on the cross, but also celebrates the resurrection of our Savior. Why? Because He defeated Satan on that cross. We too can defeat Him right? There's nothing that we're able to do without Christ. And so I just want you to lift your hands everywhere that you are right now. And I want you to say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, help me to bear my cross, to follow you, to serve you, to honor you, to love you, and to love others with truth and grace in Jesus' name. Come on, everybody said. Come on, can you make a joyful noise this morning? We thank you, God. We thank you, Father. One more thing. One more thing. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't want to, I don't ever want to close off a service. And, and I always forget to do this, but it's so important. But your life matters to God. Your marriage matters to God. Your children matter to God. Your well-being matters to God. But the most important thing to God isn't your job, and it isn't your marriage, and it isn't your parenting, and it isn't even your health. The most important thing to God is where is your soul going to spend eternity? It's the most important thing to God. So because it's the most important thing to God, it should be the most important thing to us. So maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But you're starting a journey today with Jesus. And you would say to me, Pastor, today I pick up my cross and follow him. I need salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed in reverence to God, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand right where you're at. Real quickly. Real quickly. Thank you. Who else? Who else? Thank you. Who else? Who else? Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Who else? Right where you're at, I want you to say this prayer with me, and I don't want you to say it to me. I want you to say it to the Father. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. 
I repent. I turn away from my sin. And I give you my life. I surrender to your gift of salvation. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your power. Fill me with your love. I turn away from my old life and I give it to you. Fulfill my purpose, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you said that prayer and you meant that with all your heart and today you pick up your cross to follow Jesus, I believe that you're saved and you become a brand new person. All things have passed away. Come on. All things become brand new and all of heaven rejoices and we too rejoice with you. Welcome home, family. Welcome home. We love you. We honor you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Man, isn't God good? Come on, isn't God good? All right, we're on this journey together, Cross Bears. I want you to dig in with us. I want you to download the app if you don't already have it. We have all the, all, all the notes in there, and we just want to encourage you to pick up your Bible, open it, and read it. Read it. It encourages you. It builds you. It strength, it's your sword. Come on, it's your weapon of warfare. How are you going to know how to fight if you don't know how to use your sword? Right here at Restoration Life, we want, to, we want to teach you. So Father, we just thank you, God, for today. I thank you for everybody that came, for everybody that's watching online. Lord, I just pray that you bless them. God, that you keep them, that you encourage them and strengthen them every single day of their lives. In their walk with you, I pray that they glorify you, that they preach truth in the cross of Christ. And whosoever would listen and hear and receive that truth, God, that you would minister to them. They would come to know you in a new way. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, the church said.